fans and welcome to shut up and wrestle an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories i am your host brian r solomon and this is episode 26 welcome to episode 26 of shut up and wrestle where this week my guest is going to be the slam wrestling writer and overall wrestling writer journalist reporter carrie williams and we're going to get to that conversation in just a bit. Before we get to that, there's a few things I want to get um, across and talk about a little bit here. Just want to take a brief pause. You know, uh, very often or more often than I'd like, I talk about um, people who have passed away on this show because, of course, as we know, the show relates to old school wrestling. So we talk about wrestlers and personalities who may have passed away recently. Um, this isn't quite that kind of a story, but this is a story that is probably the biggest wrestling news story of the decade, if not more. And it definitely relates to old school wrestling uh, as it does to almost any other kind of wrestling, because I'm talking about the retirement of Vince McMahon. Um, as I'm recording this, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who has been the owner and operator of World Wrestling Entertainment slash World Wrestling Federation slash Titan Sports uh, since June 6, 1982, uh, announced that he was going to be officially stepping down and retiring from all positions of responsibility within the company. Uh, this obviously cannot be overstated what a big deal this is. Even from the old school wrestling perspective, you're talking about somebody who not only has he been the owner for 40 years, but has been involved in the business, uh, working for his father's company for well over half a century, maybe something like 52, 53 years going back to when he first came on to Capital Wrestling Corporation as an announcer, as a local promoter and things like that. A lot of uh, fans of the 70s will remember the classic uh, Howard Cosell-like Vince McMahon on announced duties uh, and things of that nature, which, by the way, was one of his most famous and common phrases to use. But then even going into the 1980s, taking over the company and really what he did to change the landscape of professional wrestling over the course of that decade, taking it national, taking on the territorial system, really ushering in a whole new era of pro wrestling, uh, turning it into what he called sports entertainment, of course. And I know a, a lot of people listening to this and will take issue with that and myself included. And there were some uh, tragic and heartbreaking things that happened in the loss of that system and the creation of the new system. You know, it was, it was, um, uh, very tumultuous and a very kind of um, um, consequential time in the history of pro wrestling for good or for ill. Uh, but there can be no arguing that uh, whether you love him or hate him, whether you approve of what he did or not, he was without a doubt the most successful promoter in the history of the professional wrestling business. 
um, as a human being, as we have learned over the years in recent times, especially, and as those of us close to the business have known for decades, um, not a good person. And I'm not going to stand here and say that he was or that he's misunderstood or this, that, or the other thing. Um, an alpha male with self-destructive and very egocentric tendencies, constantly shrouded in scandal over uh, like a dark cloud over his head and over the over the head of his business for almost the entire time he ran it, one scandal after another, and lots of uh, broken people, broken bodies, and and um, tragic stories over the years that accumulated around him. I will not dispute that. It's a problematic legacy for good and for ill. It's a complicated legacy. But from the point of view of old school wrestling, his importance, his relevance, his consequence can never be overstated or overlooked. And it's worth mentioning that this is a watershed moment in the history of this industry, the retirement of Vincent Kennedy McMahon from World Wrestling Entertainment, from the empire that he built from the foundation of his father's original company. So I felt I had to make a mention of that. I had to acknowledge it here on Shut Up and Wrestle, your home for classic vintage old school wrestling talk. Speaking of which, I want to point you in the direction of the new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which I've mentioned here before, but it is now officially on newsstands. You can get it in your hands at a Barnes & Noble, at a Walmart, at a Stop & Shop, wherever. It's the October issue of that magazine with um, Jade Cargill and Thunder Rosa on the cover. I have a couple of very interesting pieces in there for the old school wrestling fan, one being the article I wrote on Cody Rhodes and his mission to win the WWE um, uh, Universal title in honor of his father. And I talk about the classic 1977 Madison Square Garden title match between Dusty Rhodes and superstar Billy Graham at length in that article, including some beautiful Bill Apter photography. You're going to want to check that out. I've also got my Way It Was retro column in there in which I talk about the 25th anniversary of SummerSlam 97, where Owen Hart inadvertently broke the neck of Stone Cold Steve Austin, really uh, changing the course of his career in a lot of ways. And I was there that night at the at the Continental Airlines Arena in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And I talk about it from my own personal perspective. So those are a couple of good reasons why you might want to pick up the October issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, now in print form, available at newsstands, bookstores, wherever you, you, you find magazines, you should be able to find it. If not, you can order it online at pwi-online.com. And before we get to the conversation, a couple of quick mentions of the book signings that I've got coming up for Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. Um, I'm going to be in Parsippany, New Jersey at WrestleBash 22 <coughs> Excuse me, on Saturday, August 20th. I'll be signing copies of the book there. And I will also be going to Albany, New York the following weekend, August 26th, 27th, and 28th for the induction weekend for the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the IPWHF. Um, I will be also signing copies of the book there as well. So if you are in the New York area or the tri-state area and you're able to attend either one or both of those events, I look forward to seeing you and I look forward to talking to you about the podcast, about the book, or whatever else you want to talk about. 
But right now, what I want to talk about is this amazing conversation that I recently had with Carrie Williams, um, who, as I said, is a, a, a noted uh, wrestling writer and journalist. She's written for Slam Wrestling, uh, was a friend of Larry Matisic towards the end of his life. We talk about St. Louis wrestling. We talk about um, Attitude Era, 90s WCW. We, we go all over the place here. Um, I had a lot of fun with this conversation. Hope you do, too, because I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure today to welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle. Um, so you know the word wrestling, the words wrestling journalists get thrown around a lot, and everybody has their own opinions of whether they like to be referred to in that way, but I'm going to use it this time. And we have with us uh, this week a great wrestling journalist, actually somebody who has been writing about pro wrestling, if I have this right, since high school, which which um, even predates me because I didn't start until college. So that's pretty cool. Uh, probably best known by um, wrestling fans online uh, for her contributions to slam wrestling, to Greg Oliver's slam wrestling. But uh, she's been interviewing and writing about wrestlers for a long time now. And also another thing that I find very cool is somebody that had a special friendship with Larry Matisic, who many of us know who listen to this podcast and who love old school wrestling, the longtime um, promoter and personality in St. Louis wrestling, and also the one-time assistant to the great Sam Mushnick. So without further ado, I would like to welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, Carrie Williams. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I, I thank you for having the patience to sit through that long no problem. introduction <laughs> it seems like every week now when i do these the introductions just get longer and longer and longer yeah. i'm just trying to outdo myself but but thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to yeah, do this it's just so cool and i have to say that um because i mentioned the the larry thing in the intro mm -hmm. that was one of the things that um when i first kind of knew of you online mm -hmm. it, it really grabbed my attention because yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's unusual it's like mm -hmm. not every high school student is going yeah. hey could I write an article <laughs> about Larry Matisic so how did I and I'm sorry you've probably told this story before oh, a bunch okay. of times but how did that actually come to be and how did that relationship start yeah, so there was um, like a pro wrestling shirt shop down the street from my high school um, and I'd go there with my mom just by obviously buying wrestling shirts, just kind of um, going in there, doing my thing um, and found out that he was going to be doing an autograph signing there when his first book, um, the initial like wrestling at the chase book came out. Right. And because, and the signing was going to be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at that shop that was really like, like in the same general, like in the, in the same area as our school district. So I was like, Oh, I want to go like, do an interview with him. like talk to him about the book just for the school paper. Cause I wrote for the school paper, um, like sophomore year through senior year and somehow managed to get that okay <laughs> by my uh, by the by our teacher at the time and <clears throat> just went there to like had my like little like reporter's notebook with a whole list of questions for him I had, I'd read the book ahead of time and I just remember like he thought it was so funny um because I, I was like on page like 85 you said this exact thing about Vince McMahon or this exact thing about Sam Munchnick so he just thought it was like really cool that I um, like referencing page numbers and had actually like read the book beforehand. Um, but yeah, I was, that would have been like sophomore year. So I was like 15, I think. I don't think I even had my, my learner's permit or license yet at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went there to just do the interview and Herb Simmons, um, he promotes in like 
one of Larry's best friends from this area. He was there too. And um, somehow that whatever I did somehow impressed them and kind of then Herb had invited me. He's like, Hey, why don't you come down to South Broadway athletic club in like uh, downtown St. Louis interview some of our guys there for your story. Um, so I ended up doing that again and wasn't able to drive. Um, not the best area for like a 15 year old girl to be by herself on a Saturday night. So I went with my parents um, right. and just kind of interviewed a few of the local wrestlers there and just kind of got hooked and just, just like, I don't even really know how I ended up staying in touch with Larry. It just kind of just felt like it happened kind of organically. And I just go to him over the years for just career advice or just to talk to him anytime he had a book coming out or he was going to be doing something for Herb's promotion. I just always try to make a point to be there, even when I was, when I was living out of state. And you meant, so you, and you mentioned Herb, Herb Simmons for people yeah. that don't know uh, who I got to meet him and talk to him at length at cauliflower alley club yeah. last fall. Mm-hmm. And he is a fascinating guy for people that yeah. are not, you know, it maybe if you're not in the Missouri area, um, and you're not aware, I mean, he has got to be one of the longest running mm-hmm. wrestling promoters, especially independent wrestling promoters, but just wrestling yeah. promoters mm-hmm. in the whole business currently. I mean, I think like 50 years or something he's been promoting. Oh, for. it's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, like going several years before I even got involved. That was like 2006, 2007. So. Right. And he, and I mean, he's probably told you his stories too and everything, but mm-hmm. I mean, I remember hearing from him about like when he was a young man and getting introduced to Sam Muchnick and being yeah. like intimidated. He has this great story about, I guess it was Larry that brought him right. Or somebody brought him to mm-hmm. Sam and he was having dinner in some restaurant, <laughs> you know, almost like going to meet a gangster or something, you know, <laughs> like a scene from yeah. a movie, like he's cutting his steak and like eating <laughs> it. And he's, and he's like giving advice to him. And he was like, so, scared and intimidated but Mm -hmm. he wound up becoming you know part of the whole like i mean he was involved in st louis promotions back Mm -hmm. when it was still the heart of the nwa and he just continued on even after Mm -hmm. that all ended he's amazing guy yeah yeah he's yeah like him and larry are like two the two people i would say i've known they're basically my first introduction to like the independent wrestling scene like in the midwest and just never forgot that and anytime I can, I try to see him or, um, would try to make a point to see Larry and just keep in touch and their email or phone calls or whatever, whatever way I could just, he just really meant a lot to me. And uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that, and the book too, uh, again, I want to say Larry's book for people that don't know. And again, mm-hmm. on with the listeners of this podcast, there's probably a lot of people that do know, but mm-hmm. the wrestling at the chase book is such a cool book. It, it's such a great, you know, time capsule and to be written by somebody like him Mm -hmm. who, you know, I say it a lot of times, but these are the voices that are going away. And it's so important to capture the stories and, you know, St. Louis, it's not one of the, I mean, it used to be maybe the most important promotion in the country and it's not mm-hmm. one of the ones that gets the most talked about anymore you know you can't yeah. turn on peacock and watch st louis wrestling you know what i mean yeah and people are lazy fans are lazy <laughs> and they may not do the homework right so exactly but god it does it really need to be remembered i mean you know it's yeah. such a such an essential part of the history of wrestling yeah i think that's also one of the 
like so I haven't done as much for slam in the last couple of years or so um just because of my full-time job but um I think one of the that's most okay recent... Greg is a pain in the butt anyway you I know he, that. he's yeah. horrible it's he's yeah. awful <laughs> <laughs> sorry Greg. I, I'm no, joking we don't mean it yeah <laughs> Um, no, one of the last stories I did was, um, um, a man by the name of Ed Wheatley just put out like a coffee table, um, book, uh, wrestling at the chase related. And it's kind of something like in conjunction with the local, like, uh, PBS station here in the area. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and I was able to talk to him about that and it's just cool to see somebody who, um, kind of saw Larry's vision for wanting to keep the stories alive. And then is kind of taking it a little bit further in a different different way than than Larry did because obviously Larry's was like majority text and this one is being told through I guess majority pictures as well so yeah which is really cool to have other people kind of push that along oh go on oh no that was it sorry (laughs) did you happen to go down to or like get any chance to witness when Billy Corgan brought the NWA back to the chase no, I didn't. And I was so bummed. I wanted to. And then when I saw they were coming back again this year. I was like, oh, perfect. Like, I can go and I can go cover it. And then like my full-time job, I'm going to be in Ohio that weekend. So unfortunately oh, I will miss both, <laughs> both shows, but yeah, I really wanted to see, see what they did and kind of how they kind of paid homage to Larry and Sam and kind of that whole legacy. Yeah, I have to say, and I'll be the one saying this. So this is not this is my own editorial. This isn't you. <laughs> I I love the the new. I mean, I don't I don't talk too much about current wrestling on this podcast, mm-hmm. but I enjoy the the new NWA product. But mm-hmm. I did I did have an issue, and I even mentioned it to Herb when we were in yeah. CAC, which was that I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but I mean they they wanted to do this traditional return to the chase, and they talked yeah. about Mushnick and Larry and the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And they kicked the show off in the chase ballroom mm-hmm. with like this wild, insane, like hardcore tables, match and mm-hmm. chairs and just cr- basically what I mean is the kind of stuff that Sam and Larry would yeah. have like would have been, you know, ashamed to even call wrestling. I know that's mm-hmm. very harsh, but no, no, I know that like, he has, has like a, a very, very strict view of what he thinks is like quality wrestling and what it should look like kind of for the masses. So yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And I don't, when I say that, I don't mean like that they shouldn't do stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. my my issue was if you're going to do a show, that's all about the nostalgia of wrestling at the chase in St. Mm -hmm. Louis, why would you start it like that? Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Why? why, And Herb (laughs) even said that, that he agreed that it just seemed Mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if you're going to do that, then don't do it there because it's not the kind of show that, you know, uh, fans of wrestling at the chase would yeah. have even recognized, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. But that's just me. That's my yeah. opinion. That's <laughs> my view uh, uh, on that. I generally love what they do. I, I really mm-hmm. do. I, li- I like kind of the throwback aspects of it. Yeah. But, but um, did you ever talk to Larry at all about, um, you know, modern wrestling? I know that he had um worked for vince mcmahon for a little while in the 80s right during the expansion yeah. so he had a little wwf experience too yeah he was there it was i want to say it was like 10 years i think that he was with i didn't know it was, was that there. long I, b- okay. I believe so i would double check me on that but i'm pretty sure it was 10 years um wow but yeah we talk like occasionally about it because i know um i can't remember which book it was for but he i did like a just kind of a casual interview with me for one of his books i don't even I honestly don't even remember if it made it into the book or not. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so we talked a little bit about 
um, just like what it is that keeps me interested in a show, um, like what match stands out to me, things like that. Um, I think, and I don't know why I remember this, but at the time it was, you know, I was still in high school and it, uh, for whatever, there was a, like a 60 minute, um, I think it was like a 60 minute Ironman match with Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. And it like went over, like over their normal time slot. And for whatever reason, that match really stuck with me. I, I don't even know what my reasoning was. I know the one you time, mean, yeah. But, it, yeah. but yeah, for the, whatever reason, that was like, that was the match that when he like, when he asked me what, what sticks out to you, that one immediately. But yeah, beyond that, um, it was really more like career guidance and just catching up with him and seeing but I think like that, but I think that was a good answer for Larry too, because like, that's the kind of, I mean, that's the kind of wrestling he liked and that's the kind of wrestling that, that Sam tried to promote. And like, Mm -hmm. I know that Lesnar and angle, those two guys, a lot of the old timers loved those guys. I remember an interview that I heard one of the guys that I worked with at WWE, Keith Greenberg, he Mm -hmm. did an interview once with Jim Barnett, who was also mm-hmm. one of those NWA promoters from Sam's time, like those, yeah. those real old line. And, and he had a line into Vince McMahon. So like mm-hmm. he was an advisor and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I forget what the interview was for. I think it was, it was for some book, um, maybe the Ric Flair book, which is really mm-hmm. weird. I don't know why you talked to him for that, but <laughs> he mentioned that, um, he loved that the match you're talking about that yeah it was on it was it wasn't a pay-per-view right it was a smackdown yeah it was yeah it was like the main event for the show and like i remember it must have been like cole and probably taz on commentaries i remember them like making a point to say like if this doesn't finish by like nine o'clock or whatever the time the show normally ended like we're gonna we're gonna keep carrying it and they did right i just like very specifically remember that and right that's the one yeah and i remember it and i remember I remember Barnett in the interview raving about it and like, mm-hmm. you know, because they could recognize that as yeah. the, the wrestling that they comprehended, you know, the, yeah. the, the business changes a lot, you know, and even mm-hmm. La- Larry saw a lot of that change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, I remember, wasn't there, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there something that happened towards the end of his life where they wanted him or or they were coming to St. Louis and there was talk of bringing him to the show and recognizing him in some way. And then they changed their mind at the last second. I remember Is reading about that with NWA. coming. No, no. The WWE that, that oh, they were coming. Oh, and I think I don't remember the specifics, but that does sound like I don't know enough to speak on it, but that does sound like vaguely familiar. Yeah, because what I heard was. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but like we all know that Larry was in very bad health for the last few years and he wasn't in the best shape at all. And Mm -hmm. I think in the end, and this it's it's very Vince McMahon in the end, it was like they were afraid to put him on TV in the condition that he was in. Like they just didn't want that. And I, I think I remember that happening and I remember him, you know, being pretty let down about it i just Mm -hmm. it was just it really bummed me out because that's somebody that deserves to to be recognized oh absolutely yeah like what he's done like not just for me personally but just like from being involved with herb shows and helping helping up there and just being able to talk to the like the guys who 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 work for herb now um like i his insight is invaluable or was invaluable but attila khan right do you know attila khan 
Um, I think I, yeah, I think I did meet him at, um, actually at CAC. Um, yes. So I, I guess it would have been the one right before the last one before the pandemic. So I haven't been back. He's since, such a cool guy. He, I, yeah, he's very nice. I know he's one of Her- Herb's guys that he uses. Mm-hmm. And and I yeah. remember I met him at CAC too. Last time he yeah. won, he won some kind of uh, like, like a lottery or something, you know, how they give away things. And oh he, yeah, he reached out to me, you know, because his, he's got this like really frightening wrestling character. Right. Yeah. And he reached out to me cause he wanted to buy a copy of my chic book and yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was him. He was using his, you know, government was, name. Yeah. Oh, that's and <laughs> I, and he was just totally normal guy. And I'm yeah. just like, are you Attila Khan? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. I would have never yeah. guessed it was him. Even looking at his Facebook, I was like, is that him? I couldn't even really tell. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. So in terms of your own um, just fandom, I, w- were you a wrestling fan before you you met Larry? Like, is that something as a kid that you were into? Yeah. It's like um, probably the same story that so many people say, like just watched it growing up. And my parents, they weren't like super, super into it, but my parents watched it. I watched it when I was younger um kind of got away from it for a while um I don't it's like right like in the bulk of the attitude era was really was like um when I wasn't watching which is kind of weird for someone my age because mm. that should have in theory that's like when you're watching all of it so I was like aware of it but I wasn't super into it again until like junior high it's like at the time of that <clears throat> like that Kurt Angle uh Brock Lesnar match that kind of that era I guess ruthless aggression I guess or yeah. however they're they're um phrasing that now it was kind of the, the era that I like really sucked my teeth into it so you were in junior high and I was running WWE magazine okay you know I, I feel <laughs> I feel ancient now <coughs> I'm Thank sorry you. you may have been at, at some autograph signings and things that if that's the case I remember every now and then mm-hmm. every now and then because now you know it's 20 years on since I've been there and then the years yeah. I worked there mm-hmm. I'll hear a story about somebody who's an adult now and i might remember them as a kid from like some autograph signings like you know who i remember seeing at autograph signings in the new york area most random thing in the world (laughs) pete davidson pete Davidson, the comedian (laughs) he was a child like like a kid from staten island a little kid yeah and he was one of those like super fan kids he would show up at all these autograph signings and yeah (laughs) in fact i think that at one point when he maybe first came on Saturday night live. I think Mick Foley posted a picture that he had of, oh, that's of him and Pete <laughs> Davidson, like, yeah. you know, a, a, as a little kid. And even the scary thing is some of the wrestlers, like mm-hmm. trying to think of who it was. It might've been, it's not Becky Lynch because Becky Lynch has been wrestling a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think people don't realize how long, like Becky Lynch, I hate to blow up her spot, but she's been wrestling like about 20 yeah. years now, but <laughs> yeah. I think it might have been Sasha Banks. Mm-hmm. Um, she was at an autograph signing, if I'm thinking of the right person, and it was right. like Lita or Trish Stratus or something. Mm-hmm. And she was a young girl. And yeah. um, these are the things that like, I, I vaguely remember. And mm-hmm. I, I, I hate thinking about how now half the WWE roster, <laughs> for sure, yeah. was just a fan a little kid watching at home at the time that I was yeah. working there it's wild like sometimes people yeah. will say to me oh I used to read all your articles when I was a mm-hmm. kid like ah, oh, that's not something breaks you your heart ex- a little bit <laughs> yeah you, like well because it's like the circle of life because yeah 
I've said that to people, you know, I've said mm-hmm. that to Bill Apter or mm-hmm. Keith Greenberg and yeah. people like that. Like, oh, yes, I was reading your articles as a child. And now now it's me. Now yeah. I'm a person. Yeah, yeah. I had someone um, yeah, like you mentioned earlier that I started writing for wrestling in high school or when I was in high school. Um, and I had, it was just for like a local wrestling blog in the St. Louis area. And I was like was gone for a while for for work. And I but I try and come back to like for independent shows off and on just kind of whenever whenever my schedule would allow. And uh, one of the like regulars of one of the, the companies that I went to, he came up to me one time, it's probably about two or three years ago now, at least. And he was like, yeah, I remember when you used to like do the interviews and, and like the show recaps and stuff. And now you're like a real journalist. And I remember I, I was like, thanks. But like in my head, like I was always a journalist just cause I was like 15 <laughs> didn't mean I wasn't a journalist, but that's yeah. just one of those things that always kind of stuck with me. is kind of funny. Those backhanded compliments are amazing. Yeah, and, and he totally didn't mean it that way. He was trying to be nice, but just the way my brain interpreted what he was saying and just how I feel, how I view journalism and kind of what I, what I was trying to do um, at the time. I was like, that's, I was always a journalist. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever felt that you need to defend the wrestling stuff? Like, cause I've had people that, you know, people will say things that I, it amazes me that they have the nerve to say, like they think it's okay just because it's wrestling. Like, like over the years, people say, well, you know, that's, that stuff is so stupid. I hope you don't mind me saying, I know you're right about it, but it's so dumb, you know? And I'm like, well, how how do you get off saying that to me? Like, do I, do I come to your house and tell you how dumb what you do for a living is, even if I think it's dumb, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, who do you, who do you think you are? Oh, that fake garbage like why the level of judgment that happens i know some people Mm -hmm. that do what we do that are embarrassed to say it or talk about it because of that i've never been that way i'm just like this is what i do deal with it i love it i'm proud of it it's a lot of very smart people like it not all of them are very smart but a lot of very smart people (laughs) like it and and you're a jerk (laughs) for acting that way you know what i mean yeah i think like because I've been like, I've liked it for so long and been writing about it for so long. Like my the people that I'm closest with know that like, they know that it's not just some like, Oh, I'm just a fan who wants to try and like get into shows and write about wrestling and blah, blah, blah. Like they know that it's something that I'm really like passionate about and enjoy telling stories about. So it's, I don't, I can't really run into that too much. Like maybe like early on, like in high school and like maybe early college, but for the most part, I think people realize that it's like, it's a thing that I do. Right. Like, like yeah. I mean, like one of my um, coworkers at my college newspaper, he'd give me shit about it just because he knew it just, just to give me shit, but it wasn't like he was being mean. So it was just like, stuff like joking stuff, but not anything kind of like in the context that you were saying. I had to kind of fight to get it into my college paper. I started, um, I went to Brooklyn College and we had the Kingsman (laughs) newspaper Mm -hmm. and uh, they had a sports section and I thought this was 94. I remember I was, I was sophomore in college Mm -hmm. and I came to the editor with the idea, like, let me do a wrestling column. And it was weird because there was 
one of the editors like thought it was a great idea. He was a wrestling fan and he yeah. was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that would be so cool. What do you <laughs> want to write about? Yeah, blah, 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 blah. His name yeah. was Adam Ross. I'll give him a shout out. Yeah. I'm, I'm still friends with him on Facebook. But there was another <laughs> editor. I won't I won't give his name, but there was yeah. another editor who was fighting against it, who was like, why are we putting this garbage in there? This is mm-hmm. fake. Why are we putting, you know, it's not even real. And and mm-hmm. I would say, well, I, I'd be like, I'll put it in the entertainment section if you want. Like, just yeah. I just yeah. want to write this column and mm-hmm. I'll do I did my own illustrations. Sometimes I took my own pictures and things. Yeah. And it was called Wrestling Lowdown, which mm-hmm. was a title I completely stole from WWF magazine at the time because <laughs> they had a, a department called The Lowdown. Yeah. But that was my first taste of it. But I had to like mm-hmm. make it happen. It was nothing, yeah. you know, it wasn't taken seriously or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I don't know. I don't know if somebody took it over after I left, but <laughs> that was the beginning for me. I did that for two yeah. years in, in college. Yeah. Before anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's like initially, like when I did that story in high school, that initial story they were fine with. And then I kept trying to like do something else and then do something else. And I was able to get maybe two or three other stories because they were, it was like, oh, this guy who works for the school district wrestles like part-time or this guy who's a recent graduate wrestles. Um, but trying to do anything more than that, like I tried to do, it was, um, I think it was when uh, Irv Muchnick's book about uh, the whole Benoit um, stuff, yes. when, that, when that first came out, I, I tried, wanted to do a book review on it and I got a lot of pushback. They, like, there's no place for this. Like, like this is like, there's no place that like, people, like people don't watch, watch it. Like this stuff you always hear. Isn't like, that so dumb though? Cause it's like, it's like we're not who, high school, right? Like, like 15 year old kids, like they're watching wrestling. They may not be talking about it anymore, but they're watching it. But not only that, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like people only talk like this about wrestling, because even if you don't if you don't watch it, I mean, imagine for a second. I'm trying to think of a good example here, like, um, I don't know, uh, a talk show, what what, uh, the view, right? Uh, Joy Behar. This is the first thing that popped into my head. (laughs) This is awful. But imagine if Joy (laughs) Behar murdered her family and killed herself and then. You want to write and somebody writes a book about it and you want to review the book and people go, well, nobody really watches the view. Like, why are they going to care about that? Well, yeah, it doesn't matter because the news story is that a famous person committed a horrible crime. Somebody wrote a book about that. Who cares if it's about wrestling? It it doesn't matter. You know, and and yeah, exactly. It's, it's the same reason why people have been able to get away with so many things in the wrestling business, mm-hmm. because they're always like, ah, it's just wrestling. We're not going to like yeah. look into this, you know, all the steroid deaths and the drugs and things. People yeah. act like they're not real people, you know, like like just because wrestling is staged somehow. Yeah. Even the people are fake. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're just not real people to them. Yeah, so it's like a bizarre. lower it's like they're not held to as high of a standard. Like if like but there's um like steroid scandals in baseball, that's huge. If like concussion protocol in NFL, like that's huge. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about it in wrestling and they're like, well, it's wrestling, like whatever. Like, right. But no, like they're it's just as important or more so because they don't have like I mean everybody says it, but like they don't have an off season. So they're doing this to, like they don't even have like really a recovery period unless they're off because of an injury so 
it's almost more important, I would think, in that context. Yeah, and not only that, but, it, you know, it, it's it just if if anything like that happened in those other sports like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, there would be a congressional inquiry like it would be yeah. huge national news. And mm-hmm. thankfully, in wrestling, that stuff has died down a bit yeah. from the, the peak of it. But it was really bad for a while and it took a really long time for the industry yeah. to really get a handle on it. I think it kind of maybe took the Benoit thing. That's when it started to yeah. slow down a little bit. The Eddie thing followed by the Benoit thing. Right. That's where it started to like kind of slow down. But yeah. um, I want to go back to something you said before, because you were talking mm-hmm. about the attitude era and how it was, you know, kind of when you weren't really watching so mm-hmm. much, were you watching before that? Or were you into it before that era? Yeah, so I was, um, I, don't, I don't know, like kindergarten, first grade-ish, that era. But it was, I wasn't watching WWE, WWF at the time. I was, like, we were a WCW household when I was growing up. So I didn't, like, a lot of the stuff that I know and I've seen, it's all, like, retroactive. <laughs> right. So very little of that. Like, I was a big Goldberg, Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash person when I was, like, five years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I just... I guess I didn't have that like stereotypical like nineties wrestling fan fandom because I just had that little, that little blip of WCW and then the circumstances changed. I wasn't able to watch it. And then it's kind of looped back however many years later in junior high, just flipping the channels. Um, SmackDown just happened to be on and I just got hooked again. Well, look, I mean, you know, with all the, propaganda that we get fed it's easy mm-hmm. to forget but wcw really kicked off the wrestling boom i mean yeah. in that era they started it in in 96 really is when yeah wrestling started going mainstream and the business was booming and it took wwf like about a year and a half to catch up right something like that a little more than a year and a half and so i mean that's totally valid i mean i've talked <laughs> on here about 90s wcw and like for me I'm, I'm a little bit older, a tiny bit, but <laughs> like the era yeah. right before that in WCW is some of mm-hmm. my favorite stuff, like the early nineties and even yeah. going into like when Hogan first got there mm-hmm. and that weird time when he was still trying to be a baby face in WCW yeah. <laughs> and it just really wasn't working. But, but I mean, even yeah. the late, the late nineties stuff, God, I remember. So you had, this is interesting. So you were really mainly into WCW in that time. So mm-hmm. you didn't have to, go through the same thing a lot of us did of switching back and forth between mm-hmm. USA Network and and TNT constantly all night long between Raw yeah. and Nitro. You were strictly mm-hmm. watching Nitro, right? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what a what a what a clear mind and and <laughs> relaxed Monday evening you would have had. I used to go over yeah. my friend's house. I had a really good friend, Kevin Murray, still a really good friend. I hope he's listening, but I used to go, he remembers this down to, um, we both lived in Brooklyn, but for people that know Brooklyn, I mean, Brooklyn is the size, Brooklyn is its own County. So yeah, it's like the size of like four or five towns put together easily. Mm -hmm. And um, so he lived like on the other side of Brooklyn and every Mm -hmm. Monday night I would drive down to his house to watch raw and we would sit there like maniacs uh, to watch Raw and Nitro. Yeah. And we would just be skipping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for yeah. hours, trying to, you know, like making these judgments in our head. Like, what's the cooler thing to be watching now? Do we want to sure. watch Scott Hall doing the survey time? Mm-hmm. Do we want to watch 
you know, the new age outlaws, you know, yeah. doing their thing. It, it was a crazy, crazy time. It really was. Yeah. But I think it's sometimes gets a little overrated. That's one of my pet mm-hmm. peeve opinions that people always say, like, what's an opinion you have about wrestling that will get you killed or whatever? Yeah. And one of them <laughs> for me is that the Attitude Era was overrated. So <laughs> I don't know how you yeah. feel about that. But I mean, I think it depends on like the context. I mean, obviously, people who were like growing up with the Attitude Era, they're like, it's just a nostalgia thing. We're like, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's like when you grow up with like whatever TV show you think is like like the cool TV show and you go back and watch it as an adult and you're like, this is weird. Like, why did, why was this a good show? Anybody <laughs> like, that tries to watch Scooby-Doo as an adult, <laughs> that's what happens to you. Yes. Yeah. It's like the same kind of thing. Like, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add on, <clears throat> on no, as, it, that aspect, I think, but yeah, yeah. just the same kind of concept. I can't deny from a business point of view that they made a lot of money. And if I was running it, you know, I really believe Mm -hmm. you got to do what makes money. But I mean, like from a fan point of view, from a creative point of view, from my own taste as a fan, like Mm -hmm. I had been watching the WWF through the new generation years. And I had a really soft spot for that. It's like, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, (laughs) you know, Razor Ramon. And like you had really good workers on Mm -hmm. top in the WWF, which I grew up with Hulk Hogan. So, you know, I mean, (laughs) I think I think Hulk Hogan was a good worker in his own way. Right. But but not in the Bret Hart kind of way. You know what I mean? Not not in the Randy Savage even kind of way. Mm -hmm. So like uh, I got such a kick out of seeing these great, really like like competitive wrestling matches in the WWF. And I felt like the Attitude Era, they were so much about the angles and the shock value Mm -hmm. and the crazy like Vince Russo storylines that the matches suffered. It's like when it came down to the matches, Mm -hmm. like guys like Austin were phenomenal. I even I loved The Rock even in the ring and like, you know, but most of the matches like go back and watch some of those shows. It's like it's hard. It's a hard it's a hard watch. (laughs) It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and and I think maybe WCW, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I try to think of, I, I think they lost their way for sure. I mean, everybody knows mm-hmm. that. Like once they yeah. buried Goldberg, mm-hmm. it was kind of over. There were just those, those last couple of years of just hanging on to mm-hmm. whatever scraps they could get. And it's just getting yeah. worse and worse and worse. Like, did you find mm-hmm. that too as a fan? Um, I think it was like, I was so young. I don't like, I just have like little like blips of memory about it. So I don't think that I, like, I don't have that context um, now kind of looking back at it. But like, if I would go back and watch different matches and things, um, I'm sure I would see, kind of see that. And I defend Goldberg. I always defend Goldberg. That's another thing. I yeah. Do, so. <laughs> I, yeah. And I mean, I was like his, like the prime demographic to love him um, when I was like, about five, six years old. So obviously yeah, I loved him then. And when he came like, the first couple of times he came back and did like his little stints um, like in the last what five years or so, like those first few ones, I was like, Oh, this is great. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm in my thirties and he does two things. And it's not cool to me as like a 31 year old wrestling fan. Like I want right. to see more out of that, but I understand why he was important at that time and what he contributed at that time. But I was like, I don't want to see that now. 
Yeah, see, that's the thing with me. Like, I, I, again, I, I thought he was exciting. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like Prime Goldberg. In yeah, the for sure. WCW. He was exciting. He was explosive. He wasn't like anybody else. And I don't get when pe- people will say like, well, he didn't pay his dues. And well, he was a bad worker. And he, mm-hmm. you know, all right, the hurting people, I can't defend that. Like what would ha- right. what happen with Bret Hart and everything. But mm-hmm. when people say, oh, he hardly does anything. Like, like you say that now, I understand it. But yeah. at the time when he is just steamrolling everybody, like the road warriors, you know, and making yeah. tons of money and drawing ratings and everything, like, how can mm-hmm. you argue with that? You, you Exactly. You know, th- the job of a good promotion is, all right, the guy has weaknesses. You hide the weaknesses. Exactly. Because he's yeah. making money. You know, you <laughs> yeah, don't. For sure. You're not going to say, oh, well, everybody wants to see Goldberg and he's hot on fire. But. He hasn't really paid his dues in this business. So instead, we're going to push like Mark Jindrak or something like that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like how how dumb would it be to do something like this? So, of course, yeah. they were pushing the guy that was making money for them. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to ask you about um, a little bit about St. Louis, too, because I know you, you know, obviously, I mean, God, I wasn't even around during, you know, the glory days of St. Louis wrestling. So, of course, you weren't around. But in your just like experiences of of talking to Larry and being with him and even just researching and and writing about wrestling, um, how much did you really learn or get into about that history? Like, was it something that captured your interest? Because I'll get super interested in things that. I have no personal memory of in wrestling. Like I wrote a book about the Sheik in Detroit. I've never, you know, I never saw the Sheik wrestle live. I, I, I've seen Kobo Arena one time when I worked at WWE. Like I've been to Detroit once or twice in my life, but I just got fascinated. So, like, did you ever have? Did you have that experience with St. Louis wrestling too? I think so. Yeah, because I mean, I, I read the, I read Larry's book on wrestling at the Chase, and then just got really, really interest I think just because of being able to talk to him in person and kind of building that relationship with him and seeing like how passionate he was it just became something that I wanted to learn more about it's like when the Brody book came out I was really really excited about that and then I was able to meet uh, Barbara his widow and like sweetest woman in the entire world I love yeah. her to death <laughs> um, and so she's someone that I've kind of built a relationship with over the years and it's like every time I see her she's like I remember when you were just starting rest or just starting out writing about this stuff and your mom was like driving you to the shows and everything and um, so yeah I think it's just kind of having that personal connection just makes me more interested in like, the history of it all and knowing how much how important Larry was to all of that and how much Sam thought of Larry yeah seeing that connection and um like small parallels to like um, obviously not nearly on the same scale but the way that Larry helped me um just kind of seeing like very tiny parallels to how like Sam helped him it was just it was just something that was really cool for me as like a 15 year old kid who had no business interviewing someone like Larry and then building that relationship with him and like, continuing on obviously until his passing yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's very cool to see because it's the idea of just pay, paying it forward in the business. I mean, in some yeah. in some way, he felt, I'm sure, like this has been given to me and I have to share it with others. And and honestly, it's exciting and it had to be exciting for him. The idea of a young person taking an interest in this stuff like that is believe me, I know that whole side of it, because that is the only way 
that any of this stuff is going to stay alive because, you know, nobody lives forever. And the greatest <laughs> historians, the greatest promoters, people that record all this stuff, it has to be passed on. I mean, I know it sounds like something that doesn't even need to be said, but it needs to be said because like I even found with the Sheik book, when I was a kid, as a wrestling fan, the Sheik was much more well-known, even though the Sheik was already at, kind of out of the picture. He was much more well-known to fans than now. So it's that idea of like, oh my God, we have to like, we have to preserve this thing. And I think with St. Louis, it's so interesting. And Larry, I'm sure that Larry might talk about things like this, but the, the, the type of wrestling that they did, because every region had its own brand of wrestling, the style of wrestling that St. Louis came to be known for is sort of like the polar opposite of the type of wrestling that's popular today. So like, you know, you, cause you could look at some old wrestling promotions, like, like Memphis wrestling is a great example and you could watch it and go, Oh yeah, I see how wrestling got to be the way it is today. Like this is sort of like the grandfather of that. Like I, I get it. I see it, but you watch St. Louis wrestling and you know, it's much more serious. It's not that they don't have, I mean, they had Bruiser Brody. It's not, yeah. it's not like it's boring or anything, but like, it's much more like you're watching a sport. It's got a lot of crazy people in it, but you're watching a sport. And so like, I feel like um, that added that philosophy of pro wrestling is kind of a thing of the past. So it makes it even more important to preserve it. I find. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's why um, like just the fact that Larry wrote so many books and that there's this, this other uh, new wrestling of chase book coming out and that herb makes a point at all of uh i think it's like an annual thing he does um it's like a larry matizek bruiser brody um kind of tribute memorial show that they do like every year and it's just um i don't know if it like brings in new like new fans or just like first-time fans or anything like that but for the people like for his core group like they know how much Larry meant to Herb and to St. Louis and to wrestling and they know how much um like Brody meant and how much it means to to Barbara to see his name still live on and things like that so it's just even it's just such a small little niche like in the grand scheme of St. Louis like the St. Louis wrestling scene because it's there's so much going on here but the fact that there's still one place that makes a point to honor him and what they tried to do here and then like who knows those fans could like filter out to their non-wrestling lives and like talk about it with friends or coworkers, and then just like all it takes is like one person's talking about it to for someone else to go do a google search and find the books and learn more about it so it's yeah. just yeah and herb is a great link too to that past Absolutely. because he's still doing it and he's been doing it for so long and he knew all the major players and everything so like I feel like as long as he's doing it, you know, there's still a lot of preservation. I mean, his drive is unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I, I've heard him speak at Cauliflower Alley and like he's sharing his promotional ideas and like how to have a successful promotion. And you have guys and girls sitting there like a third of his age. And they're, you know, furiously like taking notes and like trying to remember the things that he said and, just these pearls of wisdom that are coming out. And like the, these people are so valuable um, in wrestling. Oh, absolutely. But I want to say too, with Larry, one, one other thing about 
Larry Matisic, which I think if you didn't have St. Louis wrestling as your wrestling, you may not know is that he was a great announcer too. He was a great, like, I don't know how much of the, of the old tapes you've seen or the old shows and things, but I have, and he's like, he's got to be one of the most underrated wrestling announcers ever. Like he was perfect for that territory. Like his whole approach and attitude was so on point. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I have, um, I don't think I have all of them, but most of the, like the high spot dressing at the chase, like compilation DVDs. And I, yeah, I just, I love it. Just, just hearing his, like, you can just tell he loves what he's doing and you can tell that he, the way he calls things, I think like makes the fans believe that what they're seeing is legitimate. Like he helps that he helps you suspend reality. Yes. And it's just, yeah, I just, plus I just love his, his voice. It's just like, I don't know, just like a nice little like nostalgia thing for me personally. But yeah, it's just really, it's just really cool. Yeah, no, it is. It totally is because, uh, yeah, you mentioned the high spots, right? That's the, mm-hmm. because his, I'm trying to think, there's a lot of St. Louis wrestling that's streaming, right? I think it's on Fight Network or something. Somebody has the rights to it, actually. I don't know what I'm thinking of. There's some streaming platform that actually leased the rights from whoever the heck owns it now to stream uh, St. Louis wrestling. So you actually can see it. I'm going to try to remember what, what it is and maybe I'll post it on the Facebook group or something, but there is a way to watch this stuff. Mm -hmm. I I have some DVDs that I track down for that. And what I find is he in a way is a lot like Gordon Soley. If you know about Gordon Soley, one of the things that people loved about him was, that he made it believable you know he was like a ringmaster like you know people are watching this insanity with these lunatics doing all this crazy stuff and in the middle of it is this very sober and well i use the word sober lightly with gordon but these very like serious and sober individuals who are just unflappable doesn't matter what's going on around them that's what he did gordon did and that's what larry did where it's like you get these crazy promos and you know and they'll just be like well there you have it folks you know and (laughs) like as if it's completely normal to have this guy screaming in your face and ready to kill somebody but that's such (laughs) an that's such a i think that's a lost thing in wrestling today because um there's something to be said for tv announcers who are not playing a character they're just being completely normal people because it's like a contrast against everything else that's going on. Like a lot of times when you watch wrestling today, the and this is partly a product, I guess, of wanting to have like heel announcers and baby face announcers. Like the announcers are playing a part, you know, most of them. They're just like they're playing a character. And a lot of the old announcers, like even if they were playing a character, because I don't know what they were like away from the microphone, like they just came off as this is just a regular guy. This is like you and me, if we just happen to be sitting yeah. there in the middle of all this. <laughs> and that's such a valuable part of, of being an announcer. I think even like Lance Russell in Memphis, I love because even though he doesn't have that same like Larry Matisic and Gordon Soley like seriousness, he has the attitude of like, he's like the outraged parent <laughs> and all the wrestlers yeah. are the children. <laughs> And he's like scolding them. Oh, come on, Jerry. Don't do that. You know, he's like the <laughs> voice of reason. 
Yeah. But in his own way, he's doing the same thing. He's like making it believable. He's making you believe. Um, yes, I'm in the middle of all this insanity, but I'm one of you. I'm just a regular person and I'm trying to ground this in reality. And that's what Larry Matisic did, but he did it with a smaller audience than Gordon Soli because Gordon Soli was on national cable TV, you know? Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that I think Larry may have mentioned it at one point, either during an interview or just normal conversation or Herb mentioned it, but like the one like, interview that I always go back to that he did was with, uh, I think it was Kevin Von Erich and he would talk about how like his legs are so strong. He could like bust a bag of flour. So he has, he hasn't put the, like put the like body scissors or leg scissors, whatever it was on him, like while he's in the ring and he's Larry's like talking through like, okay, so now you're going to, you're doing this. Now you're doing this. And he like rolls him over. And like, Larry's like talking, like talking all the way through it while like Kevin Von Eric has him in the, like in the body scissors. And it's just really cool. It just that, was- yeah. I've heard of that because um, I guess that was a thing. I, I don't know if it was a thing in St. Louis, but, I remember reading about how they would regularly have these segments where the wrestlers would put holds on the announcers. Mm -hmm. And the idea was the announcer wanted to be able to understand the hold and what it feels like. So he could better Mm -hmm. call it when it happened in a match, you know, like Gordon Sully would talk about, like, I forget what it was like 12 different points of pressure in the figure four leg lock, like all these (laughs) kinds of things. And they wanted to know like, what the hold felt like. Because I think I could be completely wrong here, but the announcer way before it was Larry on wrestling at the chase was Joe Garagiola. Yes. Um, if I'm yeah, because sometimes I mix up I mix up my promotions, but Joe Garagiola yeah, was, who was he was um, you know, us an athlete. He had been a professional athlete and everything, and he was a, the original face of wrestling at the chase. And he would do the same thing, right? I think where like a, a, he'd have a segment where wrestlers would put him in holds. It's wild. Yeah. They should bring that back. That would be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like 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 uh, you know Michael Cole getting actually Michael Cole has taken the F five yeah. from Brock Lesnar <laughs> a few times. Yeah. One of my favorite segments is when Brock gave Michael Cole the F five, and <laughs> they cut to commercial. And it was just a shot, a close-up shot of Michael Cole's shoe just (laughs) on the mat. Empty shoe because he had been literally slammed out of his shoes. Oh, that's great. (laughs) He hit the mat so hard that his shoes fell off. You know, it's hilarious. But... But yeah, I mean, what a talent. One one of those like unsung... I don't want to say unsung because people that know old wrestling, they know Larry Matisic, but like I guess what I will say is doesn't get as much recognition as he deserves. I'll oh, say that. Absolutely. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. And obviously I'm biased, but, but yes, <laughs> he should get more recognition. And he was smart too, because he worked with Vince and, you know, because like the promoters in those days, they had a choice. They could either get rolled over, run over, right. Or they could go to work. They could with Vince. But the problem with that is, Look, I mean, I'm not saying anything people don't already know, but he could Vince wasn't always the most trustworthy business partner. So like mm-hmm. there were people that were th- were thinking, "Oh, I'm going to be working with Vince." You know, like I know that happened to Paul Bosch in Houston and it happened to um well, uh, Mike LaBelle in California where like people 
came into this agreement thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm working for the WWF now. And it didn't really work out like they wanted. George Cannon was another one. When I wrote the Sheik book, George Cannon was supposed to be the Detroit representative. And he kind of got a little screwed over. But Larry, Larry was kind of like somebody like Jerry Briscoe or, or Jack Tunney, where they made a deal and it actually kind of worked out for a while where they yeah. were able to, you know, really, truly work there. And did like, did he ever talk about that? Like, why was he able to really make that work? Like, did he talk about Vince and working with Vince? Um, Like the most vivid memory I have is from when I, that first time when I interviewed him and I think I had like, like on page, whatever you said this about Vince McMahon. And I just remember he was sitting down like behind the counter at this wrestling, at this, this shop, like, like, both of our hands just happened to be on the, like on the, on the counter. And he's, he was like, I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust Vince McMahon from my hand to yours. And there's like barely like inches between, <laughs> between our hands. And that, that's just like one of my most vivid memories of like that first meeting with him. Just like, he was very, very honest, very open, obviously doesn't care one way, didn't care one way or another. Like, like I feel like his views on, on Vince, I feel like are fairly, of the people who know him or like people know how he felt about about yeah. him so um but like there's nothing like super super in depth but that just that one line just right just really stuck with me yeah because i mean look um it, it he was able to it's like riding a wild bull or something like, like mm-hmm. he was able to stay on the bull for a while m- longer than many people but eventually right. he got thrown off the bull too uh, you know, it, it's that kind of thing. But but still, to his credit, having worked there myself, to yeah. be able to to navigate those waters is impressive for people that could do it. Um, because, you know, it also shows a sign of that he was considered valuable, honestly, that, yeah, you know, it was almost like because one of the things that I always found because people talk about how like Vince and Jr didn't get along and things like that or but but jr was there forever you know so like if they find you valuable and they know you can make money for them or it's you know it's good from a business point of view he will continue to work for you it, work work with you not for you but with you it's only when he realizes well i can't really get anything from you that i'm not going to work with you i don't need you anymore so <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to work with you like that. That's kind of what what happens a lot is but that's when you hear the stories of people getting, you know, double crossed or just, you know, kind of left on the side of the road. Like, well, we got what we wanted out of you. We wanted those TV contracts. We got that. Mm-hmm. We don't really need you anymore. So obviously he was doing something that was valuable, at least for a time. And I know like, well, wrestling at the chase, right. Wasn't it was something that Vince wanted. He wanted the rights to the name he wanted because which is amazing when you think about it, because even Vince McMahon had to recognize the value of that name wrestling at the chase. Like that was such a prestigious thing that if I could get my hands on that, if I could say WWF wrestling at the chase, like that is my inroad to more credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He knew he knew. Mm -hmm. And, and it's weird because, you know, in the beginning, if you watch that old WWF stuff from when he was expanding, he was doing a lot of those like regional kind of things. Like in in Toronto, he would do be doing Maple Leaf wrestling from the Maple Leaf Gardens in Houston. They were doing Houston wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know, they had wrestling at the chase. They were trying to, it almost felt like in the beginning, they were trying to run all these different promotions separately, but under the same umbrella. Yeah. And then he just was like, screw it. I'm just going <laughs> to smash it all together and just make it one big, one big thing, you know? And yeah. that's, that's kind of what happened in the end. <laughs> yeah. But St. Louis has a proud wrestling <laughs> legacy and people should really, it, it's, it's, it's very cool that even uh, people that don't remember it would take an interest in it because that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's crucial so that it doesn't get forgotten. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it was. It was just, I don't know, something about it. I guess I don't know if it was just because that connection with Larry and Barbara or just the fact that it was interesting or it was like in my town. And it's like, I know this guy who was this really important piece of this, of, of something really historic in this place that I grew up, that I was born and raised in and just being able to, to dig into that is just really, really fun. So we've talked about how, you know, wrestling, writing about wrestling and wrestling journalism and stuff is, is really kind of like a side thing and for yeah. you. And it's, it, mm -hmm. and so what, you know, before we finish up, I, I'd, I'd like people to know, like, wh where else could they find your work? What kind of work do you do? You know, other than the fact that I think you could probably deadlift more than anybody <laughs> that is listening to this show right now, Ken. Uh, but aside <laughs> from that, what other stuff are you involved in? Um, yeah, so my main, uh, my full-time job is I'm an editor for, uh, it's a company called Ameriforce Media, and I do a lot of the like assigning and editing and write also writing for Reserve and National Guard magazine. Um, so it's kind of a military focused publication. Um, I do like business features and profiles for a newspaper um, called the Telegraph Herald in Dubuque, Iowa, where I was a copy editor there for two years um, and then just kind of picked up a freelance gig a couple of years ago. Um, so it's mostly like regional, regional newspapers or magazines. Um, and then I'll try and get like little like random things here and there where I'm trying to get like wrestling related stories into like traditional media um, <clears throat> into like outside of like slam or mm -hmm. like what people consider like wrestling journalism, because I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those people. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like the most recent one was uh, a guy that I know from the Kansas city area of wrestling scene. Cause I lived there for like six years and just recently moved back to the St. Louis area. Um, he got signed on as uh, some on the wardrobe team for AEW. So I talked to him about oh. that. Um, just kind of how he like initially started in wrestling, just kind of kind of fell into doing the kind of the wardrobe stuff and making gear for people and it just kind of grew like oh, throughout the pandemic really. Um, and that ended up being a cover story for um, one of the more recent issues of the pitch, uh, which is the alt uh, it's not an alt weekly, but they're like the alternative publication yeah. in Kansas City. I think it's the whole um veteran angles interesting to me mm -hmm. because i don't know if it's the case now maybe not maybe not as much but i know like back in the day there was a lot of crossover there like uh, because so many wrestlers were veterans mm -hmm. i mean well it's just like even in normal life that's changed i mean almost every especially man in america at uh, you know years ago would have said that they were a military veteran and military service was mm -hmm. much more common like i and i remember i i've seen like old military or veteran geared magazines from back in the day 
mm-hmm. that would actually have wrestlers in them, like Freddie Blassie. I have a copy of the Navy's magazine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Freddie Blassie, when he was still in the Navy, is on mm-hmm. the cover because he was like a naval wrestling champion or or maybe yeah. boxing, something like that. Like, is there is there still crossover between those two worlds? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's some I can't think of the, uh, the names on the top of my head, but I know there are a couple guys in NWA right now um, who have that have that connection. Um, Bobby Lashley. Mm, um, right. Yes. I think uh, Montez Ford, I believe, um, served in the Marine Corps. Um, and then like when, so before, so I, now I work for Mayor Force Media, the, I worked for VFW Veterans of Foreign Wars, um, like not my previous job, but the one before and writing for their magazine, their, their magazine that went out to their members. And I was able to do a story basically like wrestling connections through like however many through the, throughout the wars. So there's like, had like one person for each like major war or conflict. Oh, that's it was great. either involved with pro wrestling or um, um, like traditional amateur wrestling. So I right. think like, the connections are still there. Um, I just don't think it's really like touted as much right. unless there's a like a tangible benefit. Like like with Lacey Evans coming back, like her um, like really then like really leaning into that um, like her Marine Corps service and like her family upbringing and all of that. Um, it just unless there there's some kind of a benefit to it it doesn't really seem like that's right a focal point yeah i think it's kind of a sign too of like it's just how the relationships changed you know i think like in mm-hmm. generations past like like the military in compared to like everyday life in america is feels much more compartmentalized today than it used to like you know in my grandfather's era you know Every guy on the street, you could just walk up to the guy and say, hey, what did you do in the service? Oh, I did this. What did you do in the service? Everybody had that common experience. And now it's much more like lifers. You know, it's people that's like that's all they do. They're not from other walks of life like they're they're there or they might be reserved. And if they're which is not really the same thing. And exactly. It feels like it's much more separate from everyday life than it used to be. So that's kind of like a bigger issue even yeah on wrestling you know but mm-hmm. i think isn't B- bianca belair maybe am i totally off base on uh, that is she because i know she's married to montez ford but are they i don't think she i may be wrong but i don't think she served maybe I think just because was... she looks like she has because she's like so yeah, massive she... you know yeah i'm i yeah she's super jacked and i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> you guys should have a like a bench press contest that'd be awesome oh she's she not... would she'd she beat would... you carrie I'm oh sorry, absolutely but, yeah. i yeah. Yeah, I know that she would beat me. <laughs> probably she'd beat me too. She could probably yeah. she could actually bench. She could probably bench both press, of us at the same like time. Both of us, right? Exactly. Just bench press us. Anyway, yeah. um, that aside, thank you for doing this, Carrie. This was really really cool and and just yeah. interesting. And like St. Louis in general is an interesting topic for me when it comes to wrestling. And just I've always been interested in your connection to Larry, and it's just a fascinating thing to me. And I'm just glad that we we're able to take some time to talk about it today. Yeah, me too. I mean, any, anytime I can talk about Larry, I'm always happy to do it because he's, he's the best. So. Great. And please tell me you're coming to CAC in September. I'm putting you oh. on the spot. 
tentatively. Damn it, I Carrie. I don't know for sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, everyone Hopefully. I say, that, I don't know what it is. I said the same thing to, I had, I had uh, the photographer Howard Baum was my guest a few weeks ago. I said the same thing to him. You got to come back. It, it's almost like when I started going to CAC, now nobody wants to go anymore. David Marquez told me the same thing. <laughs> Howard Baum. Now you, it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's just something I said. I don't know. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. In my defense, it's, pand- it. it's pandemic related. So. Okay. Okay. Yes. I, at least that I, I can accept. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Carrie. And like, like I always say, when I, when I start repeating guests, which I haven't yet, I'm just, I've been very lucky so far. Um, I definitely would love to have you back and we could talk more about St. Louis and attitude era nineties, WCW <laughs> and all my other favorite topics. Yeah. Anytime. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Carrie Williams. And I was very glad that she was able to be a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle because we have more excellent guests on the way. Next week's guest, I'm excited to say, is going to be none other than Scott Teal. Of course, the noted wrestling biographer and publisher of many, many books on professional wrestling. Probably the guy who has uh, written or co-written more wrestling biographies than any other human being alive or dead. Mr. Scott Teal coming to Shut Up and Wrestle next week. Also in the weeks to come, I am going to have the long-promised conversation with Greg Oliver of Slam Wrestling. That's coming. That's going to be on the way. I also recently spoke to super fan, super collector, the beloved Tom Burke for a future episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. And I'm going to be talking about, uh, or rather, I'm going to be talking to Ross Hart a member of the fabled Hart Wrestling Dynasty, of course, brother of Brett the Hitman Hart and Owen Hart and all the other Hearts and son of Stu Hart. He will be an upcoming guest, and that is thanks to Tom Burke. So thank you, Tom, for helping to make that happen. In the weeks to come, it's all going down on Shut Up and Wrestle. So keep listening. And where are you finding Shut Up and Wrestle? Of course, we have our website for the podcast, which is suawpod.com. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcast. And also, if you haven't done so already, make sure to join the Facebook group for Shut Up and Wrestle. Just look up Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Sullivan and join our conversation there about the podcast and all the great guests we have on this show. I hope you will join. And if you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, it is available in print, digital, and audio form on Amazon.com. I'm also selling autographed copies of the book for people that are interested. You can reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com. Um, And we can talk about that. Of course, if you want, you can find me on social media as well for those requests. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. Also, uh, you can find my author page on Facebook at Brian Solomon Writer. And if you go to any one of those social media platforms, you will find the uh, link to my author web page, which I keep updated relatively frequently. Um, As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find the great magazines that I write for as well online or on newsstands. Pro Wrestling Illustrated can be purchased at pwi-online.com. Inside the Ropes can be purchased at insidetheropesmagazine.com. Shut Up and Wrestle, of course, is a production 
of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. So as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. So long, wrestling fans. <laughs>